So welcome again. This is episode number 60. Thank you to Jacques and Winstrong for the song. Uh, as always, check them out on SoundCloud and all the other uh, social medias. Freeweed number 60. High Times presents Freeweed from Danny Danko. Michael, how do you feel? Number 60. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling as good as I can at 60. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the Ice Cube Action Bronson show in Denver. We're going to talk with Addy, um, Addison from uh, Steep Hill Halent Labs. We're going to talk cultivation. Uh, we're going to answer grow questions. And we're going to give away a grow box, or at least we're going to tell you what you need to do in order to uh, be considered for the grow box. So uh, stick around. Yeah, plus uh, sports on drugs, beneficial bugs, and Danko master debates. <laughs> All of that, and then some episode number 60 chock full of content terpenes, cannabinoids. So stick around for more on all of that and then some. All right. So welcome to episode 60. And uh, yeah, we've got a new show to promote for the Denver Cup. Is that correct? Yeah, we do. Uh, First of all, I just want to say whoever had uh, 60 as the number in the office pool for amount of episodes before one of us killed the other, <laughs> they haven't won. Yeah. So we'll see who actually takes that prize. Yeah. It's been we're a good in. ride, and we're happy to bring the 60th episode of Free Weed to you. But yes, Dan is correct. We do have a new show to promote for the Denver U.S. Cannabis Cup. Yeah, and it's good. It's a good one. It's Ice Cube and Action Bronson, Friday opening night party for the Cannabis Cup. Um, If you already have your two-day passes, you can get this ticket for Friday night. This ticket does not include entry to the Cannabis Cup, only to the Friday night pre-party. It's a $60 entry fee, but it's Homestead Hydro presents the opening night party. It's the kickoff to the whole 420 weekend. Doors at 830. Uh, Action Bronson, of course, uh, if people know, you know, hip-hop, you know, newcomer but you know someone who's been killing it you know we call him the albanian ghost i was just about to say his voice sounds a lot like ghostface he sounds like ghostface but he's got his own flow his own thing and yeah he's from queens new york city uh action bronson we love him he's a big vape head a big dabber he knows his glass he knows his weed we gotta definitely have him on the show also his food i believe he's like a chef he's a chef yeah he makes incredible uh meals online online you can check him out on youtube um cooking food and uh but that that is neither here nor there uh the exciting thing is that ice cube and action bronson are going to be performing in denver to kick off that big 420 weekend yeah yeah i'm excited to see ice cube too i mean it's been a while since i've seen him perform live and and he's got some great stoner tunes he was part of an incredible stoner movie called friday uh co-wrote the movie and uh you know that's a classic that goes down in history um so yeah, Smokey, Craig, 
all the Debo. I'm excited about this one. I think it's going to be good. And uh, it is important to note, as Dan mentioned, uh, that ticket does not get you into the Cannabis Cup itself. Yeah, you got to get your two-day passes or your one-day pass or whatever. And then this is a separate show um, that we're doing at the, uh, the Denver Mart for that Friday night opening. Then, of course, you know, Saturday night, uh, if you if you got the ticket <laughs> already, there's the uh, Red Rocks show with uh, Slightly Stupid and Mac Miller. And then Sunday, of course, Snoop and Wiz. Uh, but those tickets, I believe, are mostly sold out. Um, this is a way to go to a show Friday night and kick off the weekend with Ice Cube and Action Bronson. And we're excited about that. So um, check that out. You can get tickets at <coughs> CannabisCup.com slash Denver. Uh, and that uh, I will be there that night, so hopefully uh, we'll see you there as well. Yeah, no, that's going to be good, so check that out. Um, You know, a few episodes back, we did a little segment called... Sports on Drugs. Yes, Sports on Drugs. (laughs) Sports talk from the stoner perspective. Correct. So uh, what we thought we'd do for episode 60 is another installment of this segment. What do you say, Dan? Let's do it. All right, cool. So... You know, of all of the sports, I would have to say that Major League Baseball is probably the least tolerant of all drugs. They're they're very um, archaic. They're slow to evolve on these issues. And so let's start with Major League Baseball. According to ESPN, uh, an, an anonymous poll of 143 Major League Baseball players was recently published. And one of the questions that was asked was... If it were legal in every state and with the MLB, would you consider using marijuana for pain relief? Now, what do you think the percentage was of people who would use pot for pain relief in baseball? Huh, that's interesting. Uh, maybe 30, 30%? It was 49%. Wow. 49 to 51. 51% opposed. Huh, interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. That is a lot, I would think. But uh, at the same time, you know, that's saying that if it was legal in every state and baseball adopted the policy. Right. So uh, what do you make of this? Baseball players, about 49% of them, according to this poll, would use pot for pain. Well, I mean, also, it's how many admit that they would. And the truth is, if it was legal and baseball tolerated it, I think 80 to 90% of them would probably use it. Uh, if there was no repercussions and, uh, you know, whether they be legal or fines from the league or anything like that. Um, but you're right. Like baseball's always been slow to like catch up to the times, and I, you know, my policy is just like these are grown people, let them do whatever they want, and uh, you know, they, let them play their game for us and amuse us and entertain us, and let's not really worry about what's in their PP or their blood. Well, speaking of what is in their PP and what is in their blood, baseball went through a really difficult period with the whole performance-enhancing drugs, steroids in baseball. That was a major issue. And that was also a question in this anonymous poll. So uh, players were asked how many current players they thought were using performance-enhancing drugs in baseball right now. And the uh, estimate was 9.4% of current baseball players Hmm. were using steroids And uh, just a couple of quotes from some anonymous players who were polled. Uh, Players realize they're not going to get away with it. The system has worked, and the players who are on the fence aren't doing it. What what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think if they can get away with it, they're doing it, basically. And 
I mean, I may have grown up in a different era, but there were kids in high school and college when I was growing up that were, you know, on the varsity squads. They were all taking some form of steroids to bulk up. Now, they weren't always on steroids. They went through cycles or they did, you know, they did it. They bulked up when they needed to. And then, you know, they'd maintain that with, you know, weight training and, and things that weren't uh, PED related. But I mean, I just it, it, it was rare for someone to be a, you know, gifted athlete and not have done that at some point in their uh you know come in their come up to me i see it as you know 90 percent of people in you know professional sports at some point uh have done some sort of performance enhancing drug i mean that's that just seems logical so for them to say you know polling themselves and then they, they're saying okay nine percent and that's probably pretty accurate but have done in their career or you know on their come up come on like that was not about all. who they think has done it but currently doing it right yeah. right and i mean it's probably pretty accurate nine percent of the guys who just know you know how to get away with it when they're going to be tested you know um this cream or that cream that they're not testing for yet you know all kinds of different ways to get around it if you read the lance armstrong book it's ridiculous like the lengths that they went uh to, to get around the, the rules about, uh, you know, blood transfusions and shoot, shooting them up with this and that and the other. And they were all doing it. Like, it's just, it's not just Lance Armstrong. So people are like, oh, Lance, eh. It's all of them. Like, come on now. Like, wake up, people. Like, seriously. Well, sticking sticking with baseball a little bit, what, what do you think about these people who, uh, Barry Bonds, for instance, he was never actually caught, I think, with a positive steroid test. Yeah. But he's being kept out of the Hall of Fame. He's the greatest uh, home run hitter of total, all time. Total, total, total bullshit. So you think he should be in, in the, the Hall, Hall of Fame? Fame? Yes, I think Shoeless Joe should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Your, your Hall of Fame status is based on what you did on the field. It's not based on But what if what you did on character? the field wasn't Otherwise, a, then you got to take out guys who you know who were assholes and racists and well no because you could be an asshole but it's still your actual natural talent that is on display but what barry bonds in addition to apparently being an asshole uh what they're saying is it's not an accurate representation of his natural abilities no, he did steroids and that he did it's the home runs he hit he did that you but know what wouldn't I mean? you say that some of those balls right he he hits one I, normally would have been a long fly ball the center but because he's on the juice it has that extra 50 yards and it gets out then good for him you know what i mean like seriously good for him that's he's a grown-ass man he can make that decision for himself and were you not entertained you know what i mean like this is a sport for entertainment it's not a sport to to uh to legislate morality and make sure everybody has to live a certain way or anything else it's for entertainment so it's entertaining he hits home runs like let's is there is there any drug blood. that you would you would be in favor of banning from sport? No, nothing. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. I mean, come on. That in favor of banning from airline pilots maybe, or truck drivers maybe, but come on. These guys play a game for our entertainment. It's not anything. I mean, at a certain point you can t- you can overuse steroids. I mean, they're taking their health into their own hands. And, and it's up to them. They're grown folks, so that's the way I see it. I mean, all the different players that used greenies. There's been performance-enhancing drugs in baseball since the 1800s. These guys were taking speed. These guys were doing anything they could to win the game, and that's how it's played. And that's that's how sports are. You mentioned greenies. People who don't know, that was a speed that was very popular in baseball in the 1970s and that era, 80s too. Uh, what would you say the modern-day equivalent of greenies would be? 
uh, some kind of amphetamine pill that, you know, some kind of speed that... Yeah, correct. Adderall is what that Adderall. is. And uh, one of those players that was polled, he does think that the number is probably about 10% for PEDs. But, quote, that is not counting Adderall as a PED. If you guys uh, included Adderall, wow, that number would be through the roof. So he's saying that he thinks a large portion of players are using stimulants like that. Yeah, well, the new greenies. Come on. These guys play 182 games in a season. Like, what do you expect? You know, you know, you got to wake up. You're in a different part of the country. You got to play at 1 p.m. You got to play at 7 p.m. You got games every every night, you know, three, four nights in a row. It, you know, they're going to take speed to, to, to be up for the game. And, and you're fine with it. I'm fine with it if they're fine with it. You know what I mean? If someone's <laughs> forcing it on them, then that's a problem. But if they're okay with it, they're grown people. Okay. You know, I'm fine with it. You know, it, it, it's going to make them more alert to the line drive that's getting hit right at them than, you know, and, and he made a choice, a decision to take it. Then, I'm, you know, I, I'm not a moralist when it comes to that sort of thing. Do you think that pot is a performance-enhancing drug or can be a performance-enhancing uh, drug? You know, I think it depends on the sport, to be honest. I think... For baseball, probably not, you know, in many ways. But uh, NBA players smoke weed and, and you know, they, NBA players guaranteed smoking weed before games and, you know, using that as, you know, whatever fuel, I, you know, to imagine a different way to pass the ball or, or, or a different way to, you know, get to the hoop or whatever it might be. Um, so I think, you know, certain sports benefit from it, I think. And certain do- certain ones don't. I love sm- playing ping pong on weed. You know, I, you know, it's fun. My head is in the game more. It's, you're more able to focus on that one immediate thing right in front of you and not, you know, drift away and think about some other shit. All right. Well, let's leave baseball for a sec and just go to one other uh, sports on drugs story. Jim Ursay, who is the outspoken owner of the Indianapolis Colts, he was arrested last week, or actually two weeks ago. And uh, he was arrested with, quote, a briefcase full of pills. He was also intoxicated at the time. So uh, driving he, a, his car? He, he was driving a car. Uh, he so has stupid. a prescription drug problem. And he's also, uh, you know, he claims to be alcoholic. He entered a rehab facility, so he's in rehab currently. The question is, Roger Goodell, who has been very, very tough on NFL players as far as fines and suspensions, etc., how should he punish this guy? He's an owner of a team, which technically makes him Roger Goodell's boss because the uh, commissioner works for the owners, but he's also subject to penalty. So should he be suspended? Should he be drug tested? Some people are calling for random drug testing of an owner. I mean, whatever. You know, like, that's stupid, too. Like, (laughs) seriously, that's just stupid. He's a grown man. What's stupid? Drug testing? Drug testing an owner of a baseball team. Like, come on. Or a football team. It's, 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 It's ridiculous. Are you kidding me? Like, the guy... He should be tested for stupidity because he's rich and he should have a driver that drives him around. Get a driver, dude. You're a millionaire. You're an owner. Like, I mean, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, he needs to deal with his problems. But for the commissioner to go after the owner, you know, it's just these moral decisions that are being made by other people that may or may not even stand up morally to be the person to make that decision. But the question is, does it make... Goodell look hypocritical because he's yes. punishing NFL players yes. for doing things right. like that, yes. but not an it owner. Does. He shouldn't it be equal law for all? I, yeah, but he shouldn't be punishing players for being addicts either. You know, like he should be helping them to get help and then get back on the field or whatever it is that they say in that sport. You know what I'm saying? Like make a touchdown <laughs> instead of uh, 
instead of doing drugs or whatever it might be. But he, that's his job. His job Did you is just to say f- make a touchdown? Yeah, yeah. Score, score some some points or whatever for uh-huh. your for your franchise. You know, get over the line, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. But I'm starting to think that you don't know sports so well. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, look, they should be able to live how they want to live, and if if we enjoy their sportsman like conduct, you know, then. <laughs> Let them, let them live how they want to live. I okay. Mean. Well, we're, we're going to have to leave it there. But uh, please let us know what you think. Is this something that you want to hear more of? Or do you want us to not talk about something that we are not necessarily qualified to talk about? Let us know. Uh, you can get us free weed at hightimes.com or let us know on Twitter. Uh, Danko, that was... Sports on drugs. Yes, sports on drugs. Uh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I like the segment. If you like it, use that hashtag sports on drugs. You know, we're definitely looking to expand our podcast network. Uh, octopus. Uh, so, octopus? Yeah. And yeah. that could just be one of the... <laughs> one of the tentacles? Tentacles with uh, little suckers on it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, uh, well, that got weird. Uh, all right, so what do you say we take a little break? We have a really... Interesting interview with our buddy Addison DeMora from Steep Hill Labs. Yes, Steep Hill Halent Laboratories on cannabis testing and concentrate testing and edible testing. We'll be back with that shortly. All right, you guys, this is the episode, BC Northern Lights. We are giving away a roommate, the grow box. If you go on bcnorthernlights.com, you can see it on the right side there. It grows four plants. It's incredible. Uh, It's a hydroponic system with lighting and fans and everything all included. You can veg and flower four plants in this thing, 400-watt lights. Um, Definitely over $2,000 value, and we're giving one away. You just have to follow a couple of simple instructions. Basically... Um, right now, our High Times Facebook, our High Times Freeweed Facebook page uh, has only about 1,600 people on it, and the BC Northern Lights followers on Twitter are right around the same, about 1,600. So we want to get both of those things up to 5,000. If we can get to 5,000 for the Freeweed page on Facebook and 5,000 for BC Northern Lights followers on Twitter, we are then going to give away the Grow Box, and anyone who follows both. Uh, High Times Freeweed Facebook and BC Northern on Twitter uh, will be eligible to win that prize. We're going to pick a person who you know helps spread the word and helps us get to that 5,000. So whether you follow us now or not, or you're a new follower um, trying to win this roommate, um, you want to use hashtag FreeweedGrowBox when you post uh, on that page. So for the BC Northern lights on Twitter, they are BCNL420 at BCNL420. Um, that's where you follow them. You use that hashtag Freeweed Grow Box. And for the High Times Freeweed page, we are at Facebook.com slash Freeweed Podcast. All one word. So that's Facebook.com slash Freeweed Podcast. Be sure you, you include that hashtag when you post. Um, you can say hashtag Freeweed grow box and that is the official hashtag from which we will be selecting the winners the winner of the roommate and that is how you can win it we won't be releasing the winner until both of those things reach 5000 so that's the uh that'll be when you know to listen up to the show and find out if you are the one that won um please leave comments for us in you know on twitter and on that facebook page and let us know that you're part of the contest and you want to win 
So there's that. And uh, if you want to purchase a grow box, of course, you want to go to bcnorthernlights.com and you can call them at 888-236-1266. If you listen often, you know that they have uh, six months of free nutrients if you order a grow box and mention free weed from Danny Danko. So check them out, BC Northern. Thanks. That's how you get down with this contest. And that's how you win a roommate, an actually good roommate that actually pays rent. All right, uh, we are talking with a guest we've had on before, but uh, we always uh, welcome to have on again. He is Addison Demora, the uh, co-founder and COO of Steep Hill Halent Labs. Addison, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you guys for having me. All right, so um, I get asked a lot about lab testing, uh, particularly around our cannabis cups. Can you just give people uh, a basic primer of uh, how lab testing is accomplished on cannabis? Yeah, for sure. Uh, on flowers, typically what you're seeing is either a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer that they use to analyze uh, the product, and that will give you uh, post-decarboxylation numbers, which is just hard, uh, delta-9 THC and CBD and CBN. Uh, and then there's also high-pressure liquid chromatography testing, which gives you post our values, and you can see all the acidic uh, cannabinoids and everything with that. And those are primarily the two different units that are used um, to, to screen flowers or to screen edibles. You know, HPLC units are used to screen edibles only. Um, you can't use a GC to screen edibles because of the way that uh, the compounds, you know, THC and other stuff stick to fat, so it makes it a little tougher. So HPLC units are used for edibles, um, and then you get into concentrates and Concentrates can also be screened on HPLC units or GC units, uh, all depending on what you're looking to see. And then you can also go into using uh, headspace samplers along with the mass spec itself uh, to do some of the trace residual solvent analysis that we've been doing. So, Interesting. So basically, uh, there's gas chromatography and liquid chromatography. Uh, yep, pretty right. much. Um, now... Uh, recently, there was a, a, a an event that was held, a secret event, and um, apparently there was some controversy about the testing. A, a new thing was unveiled on the uh, concentrate testing. Can you t can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, what it was was we had gone into uh, a couple months back, about two months back. We had uh, we were looking over our new trace residual tests that we had launched. And that was for concentrates, for waxes and stuff. And one of the issues that we were seeing was we decided uh, initially to give a pass-fail. And we weren't quantifying uh, exactly or quantitating how much of, the, uh, of any of these solvents that we were seeing in there um, when we were doing the testing. So we decided that we wanted to progress, um, and we figured it would be probably best to, to stop doing the pass-fail because, A, we aren't, um, you know, we're not a a governmental body that should be telling people whether or not this is pass or fail. And, and we figured it would put a little more pressure on California to, um, to regulate themselves and to create some of these levels that were acceptable or not. But then also, uh, we felt that it would give the collectives more power between themselves to set their own levels, to say, you know, we're going to adopt Washington's levels, we're going to adopt uh, Colorado's levels, or whatever. We just kind of thought that it would be a much better idea. And to be honest, people were getting mad. Uh, they weren't happy with the fact that a laboratory was saying it was a pass or a fail. Uh, so we wanted to move towards being able to, to make them happy and and to really just do our job, 
you know, and that's just to screen the product. So in the discussions, we decided uh, that we were going to change things. And first off, we were going to quantitate uh, exactly how much of these active, or sorry, how much of these uh, types of solvents could be in there. And we knew that was the right direction. And as we headed in that direction, we started to figure out that um, there were other things we could look at as we widened up that range of solvents. And, and one of them was pentane and isomers of pentane, being neopentane and isopentane. And the reason why it was interesting was that we found that because people were making shatters and they were keeping temperatures low, they were trying to protect terpenes in that effort, uh, they were also uh, not getting pentane or not allowing pentane to come out because pentane and the terpenes, both under pressure, uh, they, they boil at about the same point. So we recognized that and saw it and we said, well, you know, it would be a great service to, to kind of open the door up a bit here and help people understand that in the, in the protection of terpenes, you're also going to be allowing other solvents to stay in there and isomers, and that's probably not good. Um, we didn't, you know, sit down with the doctors and say, hey, pentane this and pentane that, because it's, not, it's, it's technically not our job. We just figured that if it was staying in there, we wanted to allow people to know that it was there. Um, and we wanted to quantitate uh, how much of it was there for them. So in the effort to do that, uh, we figured we had to lower, or we realized that we had to lower the detection level that we were looking at uh, and able to see these things. So we did that, and what we did was we went down to about one one-hundredth of a part per million, um, which is right there at the threshold of a part per billion. And that was great because it allowed us to see these peaks that were the pentane and neopentane and all this stuff. And we were really proud of it, so we unveiled it um, about a month before the cup, and we had a lot of people that were really happy and grateful, I mean, especially the collective, because now they got to set their own levels, what was acceptable or not. So everything was going really great. And then um, we, we were committed to doing the cup, so we started to intake those samples, and we ran them. And I think on our side, uh, you know, in hindsight, we should have probably announced that we had added... Um, you know, we definitely should have announced that we had added some new solvents to this and the reasoning behind it. But unfortunately, with everything for the cup, with everything for our launches in Washington and Colorado, we're really busy. And we didn't take the time to, to just share that with everybody. Um, and we overlooked it. And uh, it kind of came back to us in the form of, uh, you know, people thought that we were maybe, um, you know, not disclosing enough, and, and they kind of got caught with their pants down, and, and we apologized about it, but at the same time, we felt like, and we feel now, that it, it pushed things forward. It started a conversation. Um, it brought light to a lot of the makers and what they were doing, and we feel like in the long run, it's going to be a positive thing. So, unfortunately, um, I think all but maybe four people failed uh, based, or didn't fail, sorry, but of all but four samples we saw uh, high levels of pentane, neopentane, and isopentane. And we reported that back. Um, a lot of the makers took it in a positive way, and they were appreciative of the fact that we were able to detect this and bring out this new information uh, so that they could now think about uh, creating a little more of a scientific process and probably bringing in some more equipment, uh, adding a cold trap, and changing up their process so that, A, there'd be more terpenes in the, in the mix, which everybody wants to see, and B, there'll be less pentane, neopentane, and isopentane. Um, everybody uh, also at the cup, I must say, did a really great job of getting all the butane out. They did a really great job of getting all this other stuff out. So, so everybody did a really good job, and the butane levels were low, um, but we did get to see these new spikes of pentane 
and we're we're happy with the fact that people now know um, that we're going to be protecting patients and screening for this stuff. And uh, what we're also doing too is for every entrant that was in the cup, we have their email address, we sent them their results, and we're working on some really nice remediation documents um, that will just give those makers some more tips on how to address the pentane issue and how to preserve those terpenes as well. So. We're trying to not just recognize the problem, but also try to introduce some solution and try to help them out. So those guys will see that in their mailbox uh, coming up in the next week or so, along with, um, you know, just a little more information about the testing again. We released immediately, um, we had it planned too. It was kind of interesting. We, we had already planned and slated to release um, a, a large document that we'd worked on about the new residual solvent testing. And uh, with a, a ton of information, I'll shoot it over to you guys too. It's actually pretty interesting. Um, we had slated to to put that out on Saturday, right before the cup, uh, and that was when we were supposed to send all the results back. So we were working on it and trying to get it done. Well, right beforehand, uh, Big D had requested that we send the trace residual results early, um, which we weren't expecting. Uh, so we sent them out because we figured that they were using them to to help in um, the testing. So when we sent those out, we didn't send along with it early the, uh, the document that we worked on. So again, it kind of looked like we, we were a little un- underprepared, um, but it was based on the request to, to send that stuff out early. Um, so we did our homework. We, we put out a lot of information afterward, and we're going to continue to with this remediation document. But uh, that was really, that's really the whole story. <laughs> right. So basically, it's the same machine you're using, but a more stringent uh, test that's uh, searching for things besides just butane. So things like pentane and, and uh, other residuals, yeah. basic residuals. Now, what? Yeah, we added some new standards to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, lot, and a lot of labs are having trouble because it's hard to get a true butane sample for a standard. Um, it's tough to get a straight butane standard. Uh, I think what will happen now, though, is that, and it already has happened, I mean, a lot of these companies that are making the standards, since we started, uh, they see a lot more business now with all these labs in different states. So they've even started to, to they have an ad page uh, for their advertising that says cannabinoids and this and that. So these companies are getting behind it. And we feel like uh, in good time, we'll start to see that, that uh, butane um, standard and some other standards as we push the envelope, you know, as all the labs push the envelope together. So, mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting to see uh, the way that it's getting, you know, hi- the standards are getting higher and you guys are pushing that envelope. And, and uh, that's a great thing in the grand scheme of things. So uh, I know, you know, people got caught by surprise a little, but the truth is it's a great thing for all of us that... Uh, you know, people are going to be creating a cleaner product. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about what's been going on uh, with Steep Hill Halent and, uh, you know, what states you guys are in and, and, and whatever you can tell me about uh, any kind of e- expansion. Ooh, well, we, uh, we recently went into, we, we got the first licensed uh, testing laboratory in, in Colorado, which is great. And we have our location there with our partners um, in Denver. And we've been testing there. It was uh, a little bit of an exciting month last month. We did uh, some stuff uh, in town that kind of shook things up again. And so everything's going good in Colorado expansion, which is wonderful. Uh, We have the cup coming up, which should be exciting as well. And uh, we're also building out our location in Washington State. And we should have uh, Washington State testing up and running probably within the next month. Uh, We have some partners there that we're going to be testing with. Uh, the guys with uh, Extracted are going to help us a bunch and provide a ton of material for us to help us get that stuff started, which is nice. 
And then um, we have plans right now for Nevada. Uh, so we're working with, um, with a group in Nevada to get a steep hill hamlet laboratory there as well. And we are uh, currently doing a lot of research on Massachusetts. So it looks like um, my hometown, our hometown, uh, our home state, will be back in Massachusetts uh, pretty soon too. So we're just kind of watching Mass, seeing how it develops, and developing some key relationships there now so that we can have a launch as well on the East Coast. Cool. Well, we just put out an, an article, you know, by our, our buddy Nico about the strongest strains on Earth, and um, yep. THC levels are, you know, we've been seeing in the testing we've done with you guys and uh, other labs, mm-hmm. of course, for the cups, um, sort of topping out around twenty-eight percent. What, what's the what's the highest THC level you guys have tested in flowers, and? Uh, uh, for THC in particular, and and are some of the lab scores THCA plus THC, or is it uh, just the THC? Yeah, there's a little bit of confusion around it, um, and I think it has to do with some of the ways that guys are reporting THCA and THC together. Um, sometimes they compile the numbers together without accounting for decarboxylation, mm-hmm. and it makes for a higher number. But the problem is, is that instead of Instead of saying THCA, they're just saying THC, and then that will make for a much higher number. Uh, you normally would pull about 30% off the top of that high number, and you'll get down to what your Delta 9 THC number will be. Mm-hmm. Um, we're pretty strict about making sure that we stand to uh, you know, the, the science of it. So we, we choose not to ever um, discount you know, the, the decarboxylation values. So the highest that we've seen is about 22 23%. Um, in THC in a flower. Um, so it's, you know, the 28s we haven't seen. Uh, in THCA values, we see, you know, up to 30. I think we've, we've maybe even seen the 32% THCA. Uh, but then when you remove 30% of that number, you, you'll get your, D, your Delta 9 THC numbers. So, um, you know, different labs will report differently, and it's a little bit confusing. So it's, and even sometimes you guys will have two labs at one cup, mm-hmm. which is what you guys uh, normally will do. And, and I think you'll see the difference in the how we report. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, I think it's kind of happening now. I think it, it'll go away. I think that eventually, as you see states like Colorado and Washington set standards, the way that those are reported uh, are based on which unit is being used. And it's very strict. So it's, uh, you'll kind of see it going away. You'll, you'll see less of it because those labs are being regulated in those areas. But in places like California, um, you you know, in before in Colorado, there wasn't much regulation on the labs. Um, and, you know, we're hoping for more regulation here in California. We're actually pushing for it uh, so that we can standardize things a little bit more, make it a little more um, uniform and simple to understand for people. Uh, but, yeah, the it seems like cannabis is getting as strong as it can, uh, you know, because people are really pushing the envelope in terms of, you know, what you guys are doing with teaching them how to, how to grow better and, and with all these crazy seed breeders. And, you know, what I think is most interesting is how we're seeing the levels of CBD start to rise and starting to see some of these strains that we love uh, with CBD in them kind of come out. So that's one of the more interesting things that we've been seeing. Um, yeah, that was but, my, you know, with that, the THC percentages, it's, it's really going to, I think it'll all come together and you'll start to see it make a little more sense in the next couple of years as California regulates in other places. And then these labs have to do it all the same. And then once you see that standardization come in, you'll start to get a better understanding of what the real values are. Yeah, that was my next question actually about CBD um, and CBD values. Is that, 
is it more important the ratio between the THC and the CBD or the rate of CBD in a, a particular strain or oil? You know, it's a good question. I think you're starting to see these companies that are coming out with just CBD. And, you know, the, the feedback that comes from patients and other people is that those products aren't necessarily what they need. It's not really completing the entire, uh, the entire puzzle that they need to have filled. So um, with, you know, with the rise of all these new products that we see coming, like these crosses, that what really is important is the ratio. You know, you'll, excuse me, you'll see, um, you know, with ACDC, the ratio is that's a really interesting one because it's supposed to have one of the highest ratios, but it comes back, um, you know, a little different every time. Uh, but at the same time, the ratio is present. So, uh, you know, high CBD is good, I think, but but it's important to have it along with other cannabinoids, more in the form of a whole plant medicine. And that's really where where what we're seeing. Uh, we're not doctors, but when we are testing for patients or testing for groups of patients, and we get feedback from them. Uh, what we find is that they tend to, you know, try to get away from just the straight CBD-laced products and go more towards, uh, you know, the mixed cannabinoids, CBD, THC, um, with terpenes and other stuff in the product. Um, but, yeah, the ratios are important. You know, the amount of THC to the amount of CBD, if you've got a one-to-one, -one, uh, that tends to be what's most desired, what people are looking for. So, um, but then also... You know, high CBD, low THC, it also seems to be pretty helpful. So mm -hmm. um, once again, you know, as the testing gets more standard and, and you can see the same thing in multiple places, and that's what Steve is trying to do. I mean, that's our mission is to, that you create the same exact lab uh, in Washington, in Colorado, in Nevada, in Massachusetts, and in California for these companies that are growing into multiple states um, so they can have something standard to use in each one of those states. So, Excellent. Um, the important phrase there, I think, is whole plant medicine. That's the way that we can counteract a lot of this pharmaceuticalization of cannabis, a lot of the CBD-only legislation. We want whole plant medicine, and that's the important thing, whether it's in concentrated form or flower form or edible form. We want the whole plant medicine. And so, um, yeah, so thank you for what you guys are doing. Thanks for, um, you know, doing the... the analysis of the strains and of the concentrates and edibles and all that. It's very important work. Um, let people know, how, you know, if they want to have something tested by Steep Hill or if they want to find out more about lab testing, um, where they can find out more about Steep Hill Halent Labs. Yeah, you can check us out online at steephilllab.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter, uh, both Steep Hill Halent Denver, Steep Hill Halent uh, Laboratory. And uh, you can find me on Facebook at Addison Demora, or you can find me on Instagram at Earl Ripper. So. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you, Addy. Thank you for being on Freeweed once again to help explain lab testing. And uh, stick around, guys. We'll be back with our cultivation segment. All right. I know you want free weed, but you do not get free weed unless you have some seeds. So you've got to check out one of our sponsors, Gorilla Cannabis Seeds. And that is Gorilla, G-O-R-I-L-L-A dash cannabis dash seeds dot C-O dot U-K. If you go to that address and put slash free seeds dot HTML, you can find out all kinds of deals where you can get free seeds with uh, various orders of TH seeds and a bunch of other different companies. Um, I have a special code for you guys. This can be used between April 4th and 6th. So if you're getting ready to plant some outdoor plants, this will get you a 20% off discount on any seeds from Gorilla Cannabis Seeds. So 20% off discount 
between the 4th and the 6th of April, and the code is G14, like the strain G13, but the code is G14, and you're going to get up to seven free feminized branded seeds as well with those orders. So 20% discount is a very substantial discount. It's only for those three days, the 4th, 5th, and 6th of April. The code is G14. The site is gorillacannabisseeds.co.uk. Um, even if you just if you don't know the thing, just put Gorilla Seeds into Google and you will find them. They're the first thing that comes up. And like I said, discrete packaging. Um, they ship worldwide. They have a wide variety of legitimate uh, cannabis seeds from the breeders. And they got this special 20% discount. So please show them some love. Tell them Freeweed sent you and you get extra free stuff too. Um, the Gorilla always takes care of you. So check them out at gorillacannabisseeds.co.uk. All right, we are back, and I believe this is the cultivation segment of the show. It is, and many thanks to Addison for joining us on episode 60 of Free Weed. Uh, we don't have a stream this week, but I thought maybe we would play a little game. Let's do it. I want to play a game. All right. Uh, we're calling this the Master Debate Club, and I encourage all our listeners right now to listen to Danny Danko Master Debate. <laughs> I guess I'm good at that. You're great at it, I've heard. <laughs> All right, so basically the idea here is I'm going to, I have a clock, and I'm going to put 60 seconds on that clock, right? I'm going to give you a statement from a grower, and you have 60 seconds to change that person's mind. All right? All right. So that is what we're going to do, and you could judge at home if Dan has succeeded or failed in master debating. So, number one, I just moved to Colorado to begin breeding. I'm using feminized seeds to start the project so I don't have to root through so many male plants. Ready? Yes. Begin. Uh, I would recommend that you start with regular seeds and grow out the males and the females because you want true breeding stock. I would not use feminized seeds in breeding projects because uh, they tend to be more unstable in certain ways, uh, lead to, leading to more hermaphroditism, hermaphroditism and things like that. So. Uh, I think you want to start with stable, regular genetics for any kind of breeding project like that. If you're trying to create feminized seeds, you can do that using regular seeds, but um, through a process of stabilization rather than getting yourself feminized seeds and then trying to breed them true. Um, it's just my opinion, but I think most breeders will agree with me that uh, true, original, regular breeding stock is the best for any kind of cannabis breeding project. All right. Well, you did that with 10 seconds to spare. So that sounds pretty good. I think you convinced me. All right. Our next uh, grower. I have a mid-sized indoor grow and I start from seed for each crop. Tell me why I'm wrong. Ready? Yes. Go. Uh, I would think that you would be better off to take clones from a mother plant, uh, to have a level canopy, uh, to know what you're getting every time, to not have to sift through uh, males and females. And if you're growing from feminized seed at the same time, you're going to get uh, different phenotypes that uh, some will stretch longer than others and basically it'll f affect your overall yield when you don't have that level canopy uh, and even growth that you get when you root clones and grow them out now you just you know that requires having a very healthy female mother plant that's in its vegetative stage from which you can take those clones but if you have that it's definitely more desirable than growing full room crops from seed I mean Growing from seed is to find a good mother and hold on to her uh, forever, or for as long as you can. 
Hold on to that mother as long as you can, all right? What do you guys think at home? Did he convince you? I think so. Moving on, Danko is going to master debate this next point. I use a 24-hour light cycle to get the most out of my plants because more light equals bigger plants. Ready? Go. Yeah, um, you're talking about the vegetative stage there with the 24 hours, and I just simply don't recommend uh, 24 hours of light in any stage of a plant's life. It's unnatural. Uh, it doesn't give the plant any chance to rest. And that's when a plant does its growth. It stores light and energy and then releases it during the dark times. And that's when it actually will multiply cells. So, you know, even if it's going to be two hours, just give it, you know, a 22 and then two if you have, you know, if you're really after like incredible veggie growth. But 18 will work, 20 will work. Um, you know, typically, I recommend 18 because, you know, people are always worried a little bit about the electricity. That extra, you know, six hours or so of dark really gives the plant a time to rest and recuperate and rebuild. And that's basically what I recommend. Some people will tell you to go 24. Uh, I, I certainly don't. Three seconds to spare. You are master debating like a lunatic. All right. <laughs> Our next point. <laughs> Um, I leave my fan leaves on after harvest when I'm drying because the buds dry slower and the leaves provide a little protective barrier. What do you think? Ready? Go. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you if we were talking about the sugar leaves, uh, but the fan leaves really can go at that point. The, uh, there's no reason to create a, uh, you know, because the fan leaf as it dries um, will will droop and it'll create a place where uh, moisture can collect on your bud and, and you'll... You, you know, there's more problems with uh, mold and rot and things like that. I know a lot of people in areas like NorCal have that problem. Um, so taking those fan leaves off, it doesn't really accelerate the drying process all that much, but it does help to not create spots for moisture to collect around a, a bud and make it uh, mold out or anything like that. Um, plenty of uh, water is still going to come out of the bud, out of the stem, out of the um, sugar leaves and, and things like that. So the fan leaves are unnecessary at that point. I would take those off and then wait until after the bud is dried to take off the uh, sugar leaf. Wow. I think you have a pretty good internal clock in your head, or you have your own clock on that side <laughs> of the studio because you're really coming in right at a minute every time. So well done. All right. Our final question that Danko will master debate all over. Uh, <laughs> I grow indoors because it produces the best possible pot. Outdoor weed cannot compete. Ready? go i disagree with that i think that if you if it's grown properly outdoors you can really create an amazing uh amazing bud amazing plant uh basically you just want to be able to control some of the factors like wind and rain and things um, but if you can do that you get the best of both worlds in a greenhouse but i do believe that uh outdoor sun-grown marijuana actually has uh you know a better uh overall effect uh basically then indoor grown only pot and also you know it, it helps your carbon footprint to go outdoor plants they suck in carbon dioxide and release oxygen indoors you know your carbon footprint is much higher because of all the electricity that you're using and outdoor weed just has something a certain quality a je ne sais quoi a terroir a, uh, a something about it that just makes it special and so i prefer sun-grown organic outdoor uh, almost always Wow. Nailed it again. Wow. All right. So uh, listen, everybody, I, 
I have to say, I've seen Danko master debate on a bus, on a plane. He's always master debating in his office, but this is the first time he's done it on this show. So (laughs) we hope you enjoyed listening to Danko master debate, and uh, hopefully we'll have another segment like that coming soon. Good job, Danko. Thanks. Uh... (laughs) All right, well, our lesson this week is about uh, something interesting and something people don't certainly don't consider very often, and that is beneficial insects. Um, These are basically predators or parasites that you can unleash upon your infestations. Um, Usually people are very quick to reach for the uh, spray bottle, uh, the spray can, whatever it is that they want to do. You know, they panic and they freak out. But the truth is that for every one of those pesky vegetarian bugs that's out there attacking your plant, there's something that wants to eat that that you can unleash in your room uh, or particularly outdoors. I mean, this works great in greenhouses and outdoors because there's such a wide variety. Um, Indoors, you know, there's a few you can use uh, and we will get into that, but it's just a really cool thing you can do. It's a wonderful thing uh, to check out as well. And these are things, these are all, um, you know, animals you can order through the mail. They show up and uh, some of them you can keep in the refrigerator for weeks and months on end. Uh, Some of them you apply immediately. Some of them are cool as shit, like praying mantises. Uh, you know, you unleash those guys and, you, you know, you, you can spend hours just getting high and watching those dudes just go to work on, uh, on bugs. So let's get into it a little bit and just talk about some of these predators. Um, basically a gift from Mother Nature that you can use to attack your things. Now, uh, lacewing larvae. I mean, these are, like, incredible. If you listen to what... The description in this uh, book that I have about these bugs, I'm just going to read a tiny section here so you know what you're, you're, you're looking at when you, uh, when you do this. It's really cool. Um, this is the green lacewings, Chirosopa rufilabris. Um, looking like tiny alligators, lacewing larvae, larvae voraciously attack almost any prey they can grab using pincher-like jaws. After injecting a paralyzing venom, they suck the body fluids from their helpless victims. During the two to three weeks it takes lacewings to develop through the larval stage, they'll eat up to 200 aphids or other insect eggs, larvae, and adults a week, growing up to an, a half an inch long in the process. I mean, that just sounds super cool. And, uh, you know, that's a great thing you can do outdoors if you have problems um, with those type of plants. You apply it. Like, a lot of this stuff, it shows up uh, basically in like, you know, corn, ground up corn husks and things so that you can basically see them and spread them around evenly. And, uh, you know, that's how it works with those. Um, ladybugs are very popular that, and you can use those indoors or out. Um, one of the things people do sometimes is like, um, because ladybugs tend to fly away after they've eaten a, a little bit is, uh, you can spray them with like, uh, you know, Uh, coca-cola spray you know just keeps their wings closed for like uh up to a week or so and eventually wears off and they fly away uh i don't think that's too uh inhumane of a thing to do they stick around because they can't fly they stick around and eat what they can find walking around which is much more of the spider mites and uh aphids and other things that you want them to eat and they're cool you know they're cool to look at um it's fun Uh, you know, particularly if you've had these infestations and you've been frustrated by them, it's kind of fun to just take like a 16 time or a 35 times loop and just watch what happens when, uh, when these bugs attack their vegetarian, uh, enemies. It's really, it's quite cool and it's, it it can be quite satisfying as well. Um, 
like I said, there's one for almost everything. I have this whole booklet on them. The praying mantises are cool. Um, their eggs can be hatched, uh, basically hanging from branches. And then they basically, once they hatch, they, they patrol around the plant and just kill whatever they can find. And, and really, they're like plant protectors. We get some really cool pics of the crop sent in a lot of, uh, you know, plants with uh, their protecting praying mantises you know basically like sitting on top of the bud and keeping everything away so that's pretty rad and yeah there's nematodes there's things like uh spider mite predators which are uh very easy to get in the mail you want to miss the plants first that's one of the things about uh predators is you want to create a good environment for them before they hatch so miss the plants first gently mix the uh the predators up they should be in that corn cob grit that i was talking about it's like a fine powder basically they're mixed among there if you stir it around a little bit that'll give you an idea of how you're how well you're spreading them out you can sprinkle those contents over the leaves and they will hatch and they'll immediately start looking for spider mites to eat and kill and uh, it's a pretty cool process you should definitely try it um, you certainly don't want to do that in conjunction with any kind of uh, uh, sprays that you're doing. At least, you know, keep them, uh, you know, a week or two apart at the very minimum. And, uh, you know, the cool thing about ladybugs, you can put them in the fridge uh, for a few months and just release a few at a time if you need to just kind of maintain populations. Um, yep, yeah, spider mite predators, you can use them indoors, and that's a pretty beneficial way to get rid of uh infestations of spider mites as well um, keep it moist uh, you know the predators love the moisture because that's where they get their moisture from the, the the vegetarian bugs get their moisture from eating the plants and they don't like it uh, when it's too humid in the room because they need that dryness to to transpire so um, yeah that's basically my lesson on them if you want to learn more about them just look up uh, you know, there's so many other ones. There's spider mite destroyers and there's caterpillar parasites. And there's, uh, you know, there's a predator for pretty much anything you can think of. Uh, white flies, um, pretty much, you know, even uh, even fungus gnats have a predator that you just sprinkle into the, you, you water those nematoids into the soil and they, uh, and they go to attacking the larval uh, fungus gnats before they even start flying around. So... That's the beneficial insect uh, guide for the day. All right, cool. Thank you for sharing those beneficial bugs. And uh, what do you say we move on to my favorite part of the show? And that is questions from our listeners answered by you, Danny Danko, on Free Wheat. Let's do it. Okay, if you're listening and you have a question for Dan, you could get us a free weed at hightimes.com. Also on Twitter, that's at Danny Danko, at MyQs underscore, hashtag free weed. Let's get started with at Duke DeUke. Who writes, Danny and Mike, first off, thanks for all the great shows and all the great information they contain. Uh, when I first started growing, I had a real problem with powdery mildew. I'm growing in a, a, a closet two and a half by five feet. I sought out strains that are naturally resistant to uh, powdery mildew. Can you tell me what mechanism is responsible for cannabis being uh, resistant to PM? And also, can you recommend strains that might be uh, powdery mildew resistant for new growers? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I don't think I can tell you, uh, the mechanism or structure that was, that is responsible for that genetic trait, but I do know that people in places like the Pacific Northwest and, uh, Canada that have problems with powdery mildew are constantly seeking plants that can resist it. And then, you know, breeding 
that into their other breeding stock and growing stock. So um, you mentioned Subcool's uh, TGA Seeds Crazy Train as being uh, very PM resistant. That's the truth. And many of his strains are because he's, you know, he's based in areas where uh, that can be a problem. Uh, you know, strains that come from, you know, uh, British Columbia, uh, Vancouver Island, that area, they are naturally going to be more resistant. So I would go with, uh, you know, strains from areas where powdery mildew is, is, is an issue. Northern California, Oregon, Washington, and uh, that west coast of Canada particularly have um, a lot of PM issues. So uh, there you have it. All right, cool. Thank you. At Duke DeUke, and we appreciate that. Let us know how it works out for you. And let's move on to Mac from Scotland, our buddy Mac. He writes, hi, Dan and Mike. On a previous show, you were talking about foliar feeding in veg, and Danko recommended using a mild nutrient solution as plain water was not really feeding them. Uh, my question is basically, what element should go into my foliar feed, and um, is it okay to put in some flowering newts even though the plants are not actually flowering? What do you think? Uh, you're, you know, you, you pretty much want to stay with non, you know, vegging newts, not, not the flowering newts when you do that. And whatever it is that you use, whether it's, uh, you know, general hydroponics or advanced nutrients, um, whatever it is that you use for that grow cycle or veg cycle, um, that's what you would use for the foliar. Now, well, he's he, saying, I'm sorry, he's saying he's in the UK and he uses something called BioBiz, which has two parts. One is a nitrogen heavy vegging newt and the other is a multivitamin. Okay, well, you can certainly use both of those. You would just dilute them at maybe a quarter strength of what you would use uh, when you're actually feeding the plant, and then you just mist it onto the leaves. Make sure you get the bottom and the top of the leaves. If it drips down into the soil, that's fine. Uh, it's just a nice, mild nutrient. Plain water helps, too. It removes the dust, and it uh, cleans out you know, the pores of the plant. So plain water is not a horrible thing to uh, to mist onto your plants, but it's nice to give them a little bit of food that they can take in uh, through the leaves as well, and it just builds up kind of the resistance uh, qualities of those leaves. And again, you do that during veg, and you do that with a veg nutrient that's uh, you know a quarter strength or milder than what you would normally use to feed your plant. All right, thank you, Mac. We hope that helps. And let's move on to Curious. Curious writes. Uh, Danny, I hope you had a great trip. He's referring to uh, Spanibus. Mike, I hope your staycation was better than Danny's trip. Thank you, Curious It Was. I master debated often. Uh, my question is, oh, no. Spanibus has a category for outdoor strains. Can you talk about this a bit? Also, any chance of doing an outdoor category for some of the U.S. cannabis cups? Uh, it's doubtful that we're going to add an, a, a category for U.S. cups uh, just because we're already so many categories deep. Uh, it's possible one day it'll switch and, and we'll do an indoor and an outdoor uh, separate. But, um, yeah, he's right. Spanibus has the outdoor uh, version of the contest. And, uh, you know, it's because in Spain there's just so much more outdoor as well. I mean, it's just tough um, tough for them. And we don't really have a cup that's, you know, our, our Amsterdam Cannabis Cup is the only one that's really right around harvest time uh, for outdoors. So it's a little tougher for them. They're going to have, you know, three- or four-month cures on some of those things and uh, you know it's a little tougher in general just because it might be a little leafier not as dense um, but you know hopefully the sun-grown goodness shines through and so you know we love like I said earlier we I love outdoor pot I have no problem against it uh, it's just you know te technically when it's grown outdoors it's grown in more bulk and so people tend to think that it's 
been mistreated and it's just not quite as good but you know you can treat outdoor buds nicely and and they can turn out really good and uh you know like that's the way it is with outdoor all right thank you curious hopefully that helps and let's move on to dan who addresses you with a lot of respect hey mr danko long time (laughs) listener first time emailer on a recent episode you answered a question about clones that flower early when taken outside because of the shorter photo period You recommended slowly cutting the light to match the actual daylight period. But how fast should I cut it? An hour a week sound good? That's a minimum of three more weeks indoors, but saves about six weeks of time when the clones adjust themselves. So so what do you think about this? He's saying an hour a week. I, I think you could you could do an more. You could do two hours a week. You could do an hour. Doesn't have to be that gradual. Right? Yeah, every couple, of, every two or three days. I think you know you could switch it by about an hour uh, if you need to. If you want that extra time, you can do that as well. Um, it's just good to get get it used to it so it does not go into flower because it just it's a huge setback. Even if it only sets you back for like a week or two, it affects your your yield in general at the end greatly. And it's just a lot of wasted time as you're waiting for the plant to switch back from flowering back to vegging and then back into flowering. It's confusing for the plant. It can cause all kinds of weird uh, behavior by the plant. Um, And so it's best to avoid. And and yeah, you just cut those hours back, uh, you know, and put it outside at, you know, after it's acclimated to the way that the light cycles are outside. Excellent. All right, let's move on to Clint. He has an LED lighting question. Uh, In an early episode, I recalled you saying LED lighting was only used as a supplement to HPS lighting, uh, high-pressure sodium lighting. I'm just wondering if you still still feel the same. I have purchased a California Lightworks Solar Flare 220-watt LED light, thinking that it would work just fine on its own for my very small operation. What would you say to Clint? Uh, To Clint, I would say that... uh if I did say that, it was, it was probably well in the past because I have seen LED only grows and I have seen them very fruitful and produce um, plenty of plenty of amazing pots. So uh, I have seen that, but those are expensive LEDs as well. So I do believe that he could use that LED light that he has for a small personal grow and he will uh, get a lot of butt out of it. Uh, me personally, if I was doing a small personal grow, I think I'd go with a 250 or a 400 or a 600 watt uh, HPS or metal halide. Personally, um, that's what I'm used to. That's what I know. That's how, uh, you know, that's just what I know. And I know it'll work and I know I won't have to adjust to it. Um, but, you know, the LEDs, I like I said, they have I have seen them work and. Um, particularly for small personal grows because they don't produce a lot of heat. You won't have as much issues with that. You can put them closer to the plant. Um, just, you know, know that you just have to dial it in in a different way. Um, but I certainly wouldn't discourage him from doing that. And I certainly uh, would classify LEDs as a light that can stand on its own without just being supplemental. But right now in the big grow rooms, they're using them supplementally just to, you know, save money and spread some of that, you know, cost around a little bit and some of that heat uh, so that it's, there's not as much built up around their plants. All right. Yes. And and we have been doing this show for 17 years. So things that Danko <laughs> has said in the past don't necessarily hold true today. But thank you, Clint, for writing in and let us know what you uh, discover on your own with that. And let's move on to our final question. At Fastberry, uh, he enjoyed the free hash episode. And uh, has a question, I grow organic, and I'm trying to mix up a soil that doesn't use blood meal for nitrogen. 
I'm thinking of using alfalfa meal and seabird guano and a high nitrogen bat guano instead. Uh, do you think that's enough nitrogen for the full tea feed only? Or should I seek another not ground up animal source of nitrogen? Right. Yes. So he, what he's trying to avoid is using bone meal and blood meal. Correct. Uh, and replacing that with uh, bat guano, seabird guano, and what was the third? Uh, seabird, bat, and alfalfa meal. And an alfalfa meal. There's plenty of nitrogen in all of those things, particularly the seabird guano. So uh, I think, you know, basically, y- you know, while you're not growing completely veganically, it's a type of organics that doesn't include uh, slaughterhouse material. So uh, poop is okay, bone and blood not so much. So that's that type of style that you're growing, and I do think you will have plenty of nitrogen if you, you know, if you're liberal with the seabird guano particularly, and you know, bat guano always has a certain level of that, and I'm pretty sure alfalfa meal uh, will provide some as well. So uh, you'll be all set with that, and then for flowering, you know, bat guano is great for that as well, and you can find other sources with uh, higher phosphorus and potassium levels during that period that are not you know ground up animals yes thank you <laughs> at fastberry for writing in and trying to avoid grinding up animals and uh that does it for this week's q a what do you say we take a little break come back and put a bow on it yeah let's do it let's wrap it up in uh, a short period of time all right so here we are we are going to wrap it up with raw Yes, this is the part of the show during which we wrap it up with Raw. Episode number 60, who would have thunk? Yeah, I was, would... I was saying, that office poll, man, they got to adjust. I think 75 is now the over-under. Yeah, yeah. Will we make it? Weigh in on Twitter. Yeah, man, I want to say thank you to uh, Addison Demora, Steep Hill Halent Labs, for coming on and uh, letting us know about new advancements being done in the lab testing world for cannabis, which mm. is very important. It is. Uh, yeah, don't forget that Ice Cube and Action Bronson concert. Those tickets are on sale now at CannabisCup.com. Yeah, get that, them quick. Those are going to go. Those so, are going to go. And it's a great show. You it's, should check it out. Yeah, it's Friday night. If you're there for the uh, big trade show, you'll be there that Friday night. If you're there for the cup and you're going to be there, you're looking for something to do that Friday, come to that show, Action Bronson, Ice Cube. It's going to be it's gonna be dope, as the, uh, <laughs> the hip-hop. Uh, folk say of which i'm a part i guess yeah that was authentic i believed it it'll be fresh it will and funky fresh in the place to be yes and thank you all for suffering through sports on drugs yeah absolutely if you like that uh hashtag that back at us uh episode 60 don't forget the grow box Mm. thing uh you know follow us at facebook.com slash free weed podcast yes and follow uh, BCNL420, BC Northern Lights, at uh, uh, Twitter. At, at BCNL420. And use the hashtag Freeweed, pod, uh, freeweed Grow Box. <laughs> yes, do all of those things. You don't, uh, anyone who follows us currently, follows BC, follow, uh, is a fan of ours on Facebook, you are eligible to win, but we need to get those numbers up to 5,000 before you'll have the chance to win. So encourage your friends, encourage people to, to follow BC Northern Lights and to uh, like us on Facebook, and you might win a roommate. Yeah, and the way that we're going to find out is through you guys using that hashtag, Freeweed Growbox. That's going to be attached to whatever it is that you post. If we notice that you're posting a lot and you really want the Growbox, you know, you, you might 
you might get it. Who knows? But ah, this is exciting. I get I get pumped up when we give away a calendar. Yeah. So this is intense. Oh, this is intense. It's yeah. a big thing. So we're hoping you guys definitely spread the love. Comment on all our pages and stuff. I mean the SoundCloud page. Um, please leave comments there. The HighTimes.com slash FreeWeed page. Um, particularly if you, if you want me to follow you on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. Go to iTunes and rate the podcast and do a comment there. Whatever you write in the comments, just include your uh, your handle, your at name, and I will follow you if you leave a comment there because that helps us out on iTunes and uh, gets us more seen. Yeah. Which spreads the weed. It does. <laughs> uh, Danko and I will be at the Laugh Emporium in Cape May, New Jersey, April 28th. Mr. Uh, Yuck Yucks. Yeah, Mr. Yuck Yucks after that. Master Debaters. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you for listening to Dan Master Debate. That was fun. We, we probably will never do that again. Yeah, and, and uh, please support Gorilla Seed Bank. Please support BC Northern Lights. Uh, we might have some new sponsors coming on board, so please support them in the future or in the past. If you want to literally go back into the past and support them, that would be dope. Whoa. Um, just to always tell them we sent you, uh, and if we somehow are able to send you back to the past, that would be that would be incredible. But that would either be way, really cool. You know, don't forget to tell Gorilla and tell BC Northern that you learned about them or, or their deals through us, and they're happy to hear it. We're happy you did it. The weed will be happy you grew it. I think that that You're might actually be a new it. that might be a new game. Like the, <laughs> if you could travel back in time and change something in your grow room, what would it be? I wow. think that maybe we'll do that next time. Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, thank you all for writing in. Keep that coming. Freeweed at hightimes.com. We have a big bank of questions to get to, but we are going to get to them. So yes. stay tuned for that. Yeah. Episode number sixty. I say we wrap it up, put a bow on it, seal it up, ship it east, and smoke it. All right, so, hey, whoa. Is that creepy? That scary? <laughs> you went hard. Sorry, you guys are baked. I Let's try it again. Give me the stick around, like, a little more into the mic. Stick around. <laughs> creepy. No, like. Hey, stick around. So stick around for all of that and stuff. I'll be oh. taking my pants off later, so stick around. <laughs> Uh, taking my pants off. <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> 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 <laughs>